and I wanted to pray for offering again today. Uh, he usually doesn't, but I, I did that because I wanted to share a um, testimony uh, with you guys. And um, just uh, since we're a small, intimate group today, uh, if somebody's got a uh, testimony, we might share that because I would like to see us do that every once in a while because it's um, very good for other folks coming in to hear testimonies, what God is doing in our lives. Um, my testimony for this week is uh, uh, as we prayed last week, as we um, took up an offering, uh, uh, and then I said the second time around, we're going to do kind of like being in a Baptist church, running the plate again. You know, so it's like, hey, is it full? No? Nope. All right, run it again. The, uh, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> well, we took up the uh, offering for uh, the Bibles and um, to uh, buy a case of Bibles. And I was actually very, very proud of this church because we didn't just buy one case. We had more than enough to buy two cases of Bibles. So um, very impressed. And that's part of the testimony. The other part was uh, I went to uh, uh, Thursday night. I'm doing the Bible study up there now. And uh, I think I had, eight, there's 10, ten Bibles. I'm trying to figure out through the Bibles. 10 in a case, so I had two leftovers. That would make eight. Math wasn't a great subject for me, but yeah. Anyways, went up there and uh, I walked in. I had him help me carry the stuff in, and uh, we also had uh, Carlene and, and I don't know if Linnea helped or not, but Carlene made those prayer journals. Carlene made us little prayer journals, and uh, I had bought some highlighters and some pens, and and uh, which I learned all that from Pastor Dave. I'm not that clever, but he and he gives them a little tablet when he's teaching to write down questions and so forth. But uh, then when we, on Wednesday night when we were in here, I forgot, this, I, I got my story a little screwed up, so just bear with me. You know how it is, I just keep talking, it'll work its way out sooner or later. But before I handed them Wednesday, as we had all this stuff together, when I gave it to them Thursday, Wednesday night in our prayer group, I handed out the Bibles to everybody that was here. We had uh, 10 Bibles and we, I just said, we're going to take these, we're going to write our name in the bottom corner. You don't have to write your full name or, or whatever. And everybody did. Only one person screwed it up, so I was pretty happy. I don't know. Somebody wrote a comment in there, and I'm like, I figured it out. I'll pick on him Wednesday. The, uh, um, we, I said, you write your first name. And I said, well, that, what I would like is that when you write your name here, you're committing to pray for this individual who has this Bible for a year. And uh, they all wrote it in there and accepted that uh, uh, challenge. And um, then what I did later was uh, uh, had Nikki help me pull the Bibles out, hold them open so I didn't get them all dirty, but I put uh, a little dot of uh, anointing oil by the end of each name and blessed it, you know, as we prayed. Put them back together, took them up there Thursday, and of course get all my stuff out and they're, they're like all excited. And, and uh, one of the guys opened the book and there's like, Open the Bible and it's like, this Bible belongs to somebody. It's got their name written in the bottom of it. And then I, then I said, and this, got, this one's got a stain in it. And they were, they were picking on me. But then I explained to them what it was. And, and just to see that they were, and these are people my age and, you know, well, I'm the oldest one in there, I guess, in that group. So that should make some of you here feel uh, good because I'm now the old guy. But... Uh, I told them what we were doing. They were just so grateful and so blessed by that and uh, just so happy and excited. 
And one of the, that's the testimony, but one of the, the greatest engineers, he's a very intelligent man, very uh, good man, has been in the program a long time. Uh, but he's, I guess I'm not the oldest now since he showed up, because he's about probably in his 70s and he's retiring. And just to see the joy on his face and how excited he was about doing a Bible study like this made the whole evening so fantastic. And uh, he just, to me, that was a remarkable thing that at uh, in this long through life, he's never done anything quite like that. And to see how excited he was, and he actually paid for two of the Bibles and said, because I said, now next time, the next case I'll bring here, you guys write your name and we'll bless it. And we'll keep that one here to hand out to new people when they come in here, so you'll be praying. So it's a very good, uh, uh, wonderful thing to have that, to do that, to see the excitement, to begin to do that. And, and uh, um, that ministry will grow. It's already, it's doubled in size in two weeks already. So it's a fantastic deal. So, so this morning, as I talked about the offering, you see there's not very many people here. You guys got to dig deep. No. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, this morning. Uh, as, as the ushers come forward as we prepare to take up this morning's offering, Father, we are thankful that we can come into a house, Lord, your house, and share a testimony to uh, uh, just give thanks for, for the abundance that you give us, Father. I, I am so thankful, Lord, that to see the offerings and the, the, just the faith of the, the people in this church as it increases and, and the offerings are, are wonderful and we're doing uh, good work with what you're blessing us with. And then to, to have people just give so generously, generously to that second offering and, and to put the word of God, your word, in the hearts and the hands of people, Father. And uh, just to have the excitement that they, they have this Bible study. And, and Father, I just pray this morning for the givers in this church, for the folks that are, are uh, tithing and, and doing the things that you call them to do, Father. I just pray that you would pour out a special blessing on them, Father, that you would have your hand, that they would know that, uh, as I often pray and I often say, that that money doesn't just keep lights on and heat in the building. That money, that obedience that opens the storehouse in heaven goes to lead people to Christ, to lead them to your Son, to lead them out of darkness and into the light and the love of your Son and your grace, and so that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit and your word and live in this, this mortal life and then into eternity with, uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Bless this gift, this offering, Father. I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today comes from First uh, John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. We're embarking upon the second message of a series uh, dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to go through each fruit characteristic of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. John writes these things. He's, he writes in verse 13, he says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and he in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. 
This is the part we need to pay particular attention to. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we read this word in this epistle from your beloved disciple, John, the writer of the, the fourth gospel and the writer of Revelations, he sticks, he has these three letters in here. And Father, in this letter to the, to the church, to the believers, he is speaking about being set free in the love that you have for us, in the perfect love. About that love being able to cast out all fear, Father, that to drive out all fear, Lord, about the fact that evil and the law and, and sin and condemnation cannot stand against the power of your love in our lives. Your love is what comes into us and lives inside of us and cleanses us and takes us into a better place out of ourselves, out of our human nature, out of our fleshly desires and into the kingdom of God so that we might, as we work through this series, live and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Father, we also today as we pray and open this service, this message, I have some requests here, Father, for Carmen Sprague who has a, a life-threatening strain of bacterial pneumonia. Father, uh, Isabella is 15 years old and going in for brain surgery. And Lita's sister, is, she has cancer. Lita has gone out to Arizona to help care for her. Uh, Rick writes that um, prayer this morning. Father, we lift up these people, Lord. We pray for healing. We believe that you can heal. Father, I think of last week as I was praying with people and, and your spirit was so powerful in here. And, and uh, uh, Father, as I would anoint them and lay hands on them and pray over them, people were telling me they could feel the, the power. One lady said her face got very warm, almost hot where my hand was. Father, one could feel the, the healing beginning in the back of her neck. Father, that, I pray and I thank you, God, that that does not have anything to do with me other than the fact that I have faith in what your word says you can do. And that person that I was praying for has faith in what your word can do. And when you say two or more come together and agree in your name, you will be there also. So, Father, I believe that you were in this place last week healing bodies setting people free from bondage. Father, I believe you are here this week. I feel the presence of your spirit. It doesn't matter how many come. It doesn't matter what the weather tries to do or the enemy tries to do. Where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be there also. So Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. I thank you for the testimonies of what is happening in Fenton and what is happening. Many testimonies here, Father. Uh, Lord, that people's lives being changed and, and, and them being renewed, Father. 
So I just pray for that. And Father, I just pray for us this morning as I read these scriptures, Lord, that uh, these things would uh, be in our hearts, they'd be in our minds, that we would desire the deep things of God, that we would yearn for your touch, yearn for your spirit, yearn for your presence and your love in our lives more and more and more powerfully. Father, I pray these things this morning in Jesus' holy and precious name. All God's children would say, amen, amen. You can be seated. I don't know if we have juniors. Do we have junior church? Do we have juniors today? Okay. We have three juniors. That's good. Well, this morning, I debated on, because this really is, we move into the series of messages. I, I did like an opening uh, or introductory message last week. Uh, to what I want to talk about, where I feel that we're being led. I talked about where God has been leading me through my preaching and my, my studies and uh, uh, um, what I believe he's doing here in this church and in the uh, um, Eleanor Club up there, church as well. Uh, the, um, I, I believe that we are just, he, he is moving us to become a, a more spiritual church, a more prayer-centered church than what we are. We, we are a church that believes in prayer. There's no problem in that. But as I've talked to the board meetings right now in, in the, the cabinet meetings, what we're doing is we're meeting here and just praying for God's will and to discern the ability to discern. Um, as I said, we're a church that believes in prayer, but we are working on becoming a praying church. So and this is on the leadership of the church. This is on the pastor that, that um, our default thing, our default process, our default action, emotion is to go to God in prayer. Because we, if, if we are doing programs, if we are doing things, whether they work or not, it doesn't matter because if it's not God doing it, then it's all for naught. We're asking God, God moves by our prayers. God's, it, it, we, we think, well, you know, why would God need me to pray to make him move? He's almighty, all great. Well, you can't answer a prayer if it's never prayed, number one. Number two is God is trying to be, to work through his people, his followers. I, I think I made this distinction last week of the difference between being a Christian we have a lot of Christians in churches. We're in desperate need of people who are Jesus followers that want to do what Jesus is calling them to do. We, God wants to bring glory and honor to himself. He wants to be raised up. So when we become this praying church, when miraculous things happen and we realize that's because we prayed, there's no way and that's, like I often said, my life is a testimony to that. Because when you look at me early on in life, there's like, preacher was not even in, I never wrote that on my, for my school counselor on there. I wrote some other things that we, I got called in the office every year for that we had to talk about. Why would you write this? I'm like, you know who you're dealing with. <laughs> but actually it's a blessing because him and my second grade teacher are married and they, I've shared this before, but they found me about a year ago and were just uh, flabbergasted that I was 
alive, not in prison. And then to find out I was a Christian, and I said, well, I'm a Christian and a believer and I'm a pastor too. And they, we got to tell the faculty because they're never going to believe this. And I'm like, I've been out of school 30 years, so I'm like, don't you guys ever retire? Yeah. But God does that. He, that's how he works. When success happens, this is no way I could have did this myself. God is the catalyst and the agent of all this. I believe, as I said, to become a praying church uh, uh, saturated in the presence of God. We don't just want things to happen, have good programs, have anointed service. We want the Spirit of God to hover over this place, to fill this place. So that when we walk out of here, the, the, the doors are swung open and there's a, a holy glow that goes and follows us out of this place. People driving, there's power like that in places when people, I've heard stories, people drive by and I don't know how I got in here. I just felt that I needed to come in. That has happened before. I've actually had that happen a couple times at, at Living Promise because the anointing got on that place. Just, and they would just, I don't know why I'm here, Pastor. I, just, I had one guy, this was baffling to me. He walked in and I met with him. He had walked from my hometown, Middleton, how many, anybody ever heard of Middleton in Michigan? I don't think so. Well, a handful, a couple. It's like you drive down 57, you see a school, and you see the Mennonite uh, bakery, because I grew up with the Mennonites. I tell you guys, they can make a donut. I'll tell you what. They, uh, they make donuts that are huge. And we also have the Mennonite diner in town. Once we figured out the donut thing, we're like, we need to sell the diner to the Mennonites so that we can get the fried chicken. And they, but... Anyways, you drive past this little town. There's not even a bar there no more because it burnt down. But that was, there's a grocery store, a bank, post office, and a bar. That's it. And you blink as you go past this town and you missed it. And here comes this kid, young kid, probably 20-something. What? You walk? Because that's, I don't know, that's, it's an hour and 30 minutes to get back there. Hour and 15. I'm like, and he had the whole story. And he walked in and I said, you're never going to believe it. I grew up in Milton. That's where I went to school, right there, until they told me they didn't need me to be there anymore. And then I went to another school, and they told me I didn't need to be there anymore. And I went back to that one, and they let me graduate. But he just needed, I got to pray with him. I, he was thirsty. It was just incredible to see God do that and, and to share that. It was, a, it was a powerful moment. As we talk, as we talk, I believe that for us to truly understand and be filled with the power of God, we need to understand what he's trying to do within us. And I talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Many times we incorrectly say the fruits of the Spirit, plural. It's not plural. There's nine characteristics here that belong in the uh, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says, Paul says, against such things there are no law. You say, well, pastor, there's nine things. It's got to be plural. No, it's not. It's a product. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens in your heart. These are all characteristics of what God is doing. All these things have to be present as the fruit. Now, they, it takes time to grow into some of these things. God, and I don't necessarily think I'm going to preach them in the order that they're in the Bible. I don't always know that they work in us in that order that God says, all right, well, we'll get love, 
under control. I do believe, though, that love is the foundational principle in there, in understanding the perfect love of God. This message has got to do with that. The, 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 in, in, be, this fruit, this is a foundation in your life as you become to understand this, for God to build and to work in you and through you to other people. You really can't grasp what God wants to do. You really can't grasp the kingdom of heaven until you understand the power of his love. Love drives everything. And the power, when we talk about these things, that power he wants to empower us with. Love, it says in the word here, let me, because this, I have a couple scriptures here today that have, they used to baffle me for a long time. As I prayed and God, and I've matured, the, um, God has opened these things to me. One of these first ones is in this very passage. And it says, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Myself, I would ask, what does love and fear have to do with it? Why, you know, why does, how does love, because you, you wouldn't think that, um, this might, tape might work too good, Chris, because now my, my thing stays taped and then my ear gets caught under this. Oh, they brought me new tape. I think it's gorilla tape or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hope I don't slip and fall on the altar. I might be stuck there. Yeah. What does fear, because you would think, you would, in my mind, I would think, well, strength would overcome fear. Or just brute force, brute power would overcome fear. Love, and, and probably especially because for men, love is in, in words like intimate relationship with Jesus, that, that was a hard one for me. And like, you know, be intimate with no guy. You know, it's not in our mind. But it's a different type. And I'm not going to go into the agape love and the phileo love. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is the perfectness of God's love and the power of God's love in us to cast out all fear. Let me explain this to you first. I have four points today. How does the love cast? Look at your spouse or your child or your mom, or your dad, very significant, or your grandchild, very significant people in your life. They get in a compromising, life-threatening situation. The house is on fire. Your kid is inside, and nobody can get in to get them. It's not strength. It's not wisdom, because it's not wise to run into a burning house. It, 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 it's not necessarily strength that does that. We, we talk about these things that overcome us. It's the love that I would lay my life. I'll go in there and get burned up to save my kid or to save my wife or to do that. You see, you read or you see on, in, in shows where you, the people try to hold people back from running in and you can't because it's the power of love that overtakes that fear. The, 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 it drives out fear. You get what I'm saying here? Just because you're a small group, you can still say amen. amen. There's not a size limit on that. Perfect love 
that God places in us has a couple of connotations to it that we will talk about as we go through this. But when we imagine that type of love, loving, running into a burning building, the perfect love that overcomes fear, another example of, of the perfect love of God as we talk about this, well, perfect love driving out the fear is what motivates us or can handle us or, or, or drive us into a, a desperate situation, what causes us. I know sometimes there's people in my life that, especially my kids um, and grandkids, that, that if other people were acting or doing in brothers, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of more people that I have to love perfectly or I wouldn't love them at all because they drive you nuts. And you wouldn't walk down this road with them unless there was a perfect love upon you. You would give up on them. You would say, eh, they're never going to get it. We have people in our family that we, I can think of uncles that we say, you know, there's no way they're ever going to change. I mean, unless they get hit by a bolt of lightning. And uh, maybe then, maybe. We have kids, we have grandkids that do that. But it, the, where most of us would give up, perfect love drives us on. We have this, this there's nothing that can separate us from that person that we are loving because it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, that love is unconditional. It is not based on performance. It is not based on what you receive out of it. It is not based on anything other than the fact that it's just pure, unadulterated love for those around you. You say, okay, Pastor, that's pretty easy to do with kids and family and all that. Well, it... it can be, it can be difficult. I want to just take a quick second here before I move off of this part. As we talk about the foundation of this, um, we began the sermon last week in Galatians. Uh, chapter five, the fruits of the spirit are in verse 22. And uh, I wrote some notes here that what, what, what is happening here, what Paul is working with and what we are working with as the foundation of our message, the fruit of the Spirit, is Paul was, he had who was called, uh, the people that were in this Galatian church were called Judaizers, which meant they believed in Christ, they believed in what Christ done, but they still tried to uh, impart or inflict the law upon people. Meaning they didn't believe totally that you would be free from believing in the work that Christ did on the cross, he would save you, but you still had to live up to the Levitical law. So then, it also, they struggled, the Gentiles, us, Jews were chosen first. We know it says that, tells us that in Romans, that the Jews, that God came for the Jews first and for the Gentiles second. So in this Galatian church, the Judaizers who were, who were now Messianic Jews, so to speak, we're also struggling with the fact that the Gentiles were coming in and they hadn't done, circumcision was a huge deal. On the eighth day of every Jewish son's birthday, they got, or life, they got circumcised. That was the sign of the Old Testament covenant. Now, when, in, then if you were a Gentile and you came into the Jewish religion, it didn't matter how old you were, you had to take on the sign of the covenant. And, uh, um, we don't really, I'm glad we don't sign up for that no more. 
the thing was, now the Gentiles, the Judaizers, were giving the Gentiles a very difficult time because they hadn't taken on none of the Jewish traditional Levitical law, that's the signs of circumcision. And what Paul is trying to do here in Galatians is opening this um, lifestyle of, of walking with Jesus, giving them liberty to understand that it's not about Levitical laws. It's not about uh, signs of the old covenant. This is a new covenant that comes through believing in Christ. This is a, a covenant made covenant made through faith in Christ and believing in Christ. I'll just start yelling if it falls off. The um, made in through believing the work that was done on the cross. It has nothing to do with living up to the law. Le Levitical law, there were 638 Levitical laws in the book of Leviticus. Crazy laws. I mean, not crazy because God made them, but, but a lot of dietary laws, teaching them how to come. Laws that really don't apply nowadays, so to speak. Probably didn't apply when Jesus was... Um, they were good. They were, they were wonderful laws while God was leading them through the wilderness. A lot of the dietary stuff was for their own good, honestly. Good health was a big thing for them. Good health, how to, to deal, although it won't go on the thing, if I don't have my microphone on, I'm sorry. Bring me some scotch tape then, because this stuff doesn't work very good. Please and thank you. I've been yelling, or asking them to get this message on there for, thank you. Can I just wrap one around my head, maybe? Uh -oh. <laughs> Man, I start, you got any headbands, Caleb, like you were wearing? I'll start headbanding that thing, huh? It would serve dual purpose. It would soak up the sweat when I get going. The, uh, so he, what Paul is doing is he's giving us liberty to live in Christ. How does this transfer over to us? Well, oftentimes in many churches nowadays, we become a very legalistic society often. That's part of the reason the church gets stuck and has been stuck. Now, there's a movement in the church, not just free methods, but church as a whole, that to combat that has actually, actually took it over to the seeker side, which has actually many times watered down the gospel. Now, Jesus said in his word, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Meaning, I didn't take this stuff away. I'm not telling you that it's a free-for-all, but you can't live up to this law. The only way you can live up to this law is if you receive me as your Lord and Savior and take me in. And then that sets us free to love and, and to walk in these things. Paul is setting us free in these explaining the Christian liberty, not liberty to go out and sin and do whatever you want, which is the swing to the legalistic stuff, because the swing to the, because I know people struggle. I've worked in addiction ministries for over 20 years now, 24 or five years now, working since AC. I know people get saved and they struggle and they relapse and they fall. I know people of, of, of that have become in the alternate lifestyle, they, the gay or lesbian, they come out of that and, and, and they're not attracted to the opposite sex. They stay abstinent. They, they struggle with that. Uh, lying, cheating, cheating, we all have those things. There's not one of us in here that doesn't have something that we've but what along the way. I always talk about the big ones because that makes the point more clear. But what 
Paul is saying is if you get the Spirit of God in you and you get these characteristics or the attributes of the Spirit, you are free to just live like Jesus lived and walk on this earth to, to be, you, you know, I think if Jesus showed up in our society today, he's a Jewish rabbi for, the, for one thing. We don't often think about that in the Western church. Jesus is a Jew. Now I think if he showed up here in this society, do I think he would... I think like Bob, when he met me, he thought I'd walk in with a three-piece suit and a little American flag lapel on. <laughs> I, and I walked in on camel and ordered the, I didn't order, the, I don't follow the dietary laws, obviously. And I, I ordered the mega double cheeseburger and uh, I didn't know he was buying or I wouldn't have probably did that. But you eat that thing, you don't have to eat for two days after that. But the, uh, it could stop your heart. There's a warning on the side of it. But... Uh, <laughs> But I believe Jesus would be an everyday looking human being if he was here. Probably still would have long hair. I picture him like that. I've said this before. It, um, oh, I just lost a group. Um, they sing Drifter. Uh, I love that. December radio. Has anybody ever listened to? No, I think Jesus looks like their lead singer for some reason. I don't know why, but he's got kind of body, scruffy beard, and always oh, kind of a laid-back looking guy. I think that's kind of what he'd be like. I think you'd be standing in line with him at Uncle Ray's if we're in Fenton, and you would be talking, having this conversation with this gentleman that looking normal, probably, I'm sure he would wear the sandals, because if you can get away with sandals, you wear sandals, the uh, mandals. Yeah. And you would be having this conversation with him and you would just be sucked in. There's, there's people like that in here, that, that, that in life that exude that much of Christ-likeness that, that you just pulled in to talk to them. I think you'd be standing there and you'd be talking to this guy and he would just, you, you'd be mesmerized. Like how gentle, how wonderful, but how intelligent. There's no fear in this gentleman. He just, I've never met anybody like him. And you would walk away from him, and you'd be just kind of bewildered. And along the way, somebody would say, well, you, you know who that is, right? You'd say, no, great guy. That was Jesus. And it dawned on you that you met him. You see, now, I say that Jesus is calling us to be Jesus to those that are lost and hurting who need Christ. Maybe they're not even lost and hurting. Maybe they're just ignorant of what Christ has done for them. And I say ignorant because that's not stupid. Ignorant just means I don't know. They haven't been told. That's our job. Do they need us to yell and scream and point out things that are wrong inside of them? No. Do they need us to shove things down their throat? No. I yell and scream a little bit, but that's just because I get excited. And I, I know I have people say, oh, you're yelling at us, Pastor. I'm not yelling. I'm challenging you. Yelling, I go to a football. I get excited at football games. You want to see yelling, go to the football game with me and Mr. Gunther. <laughs> we, don't, we won't wear any benchmark stuff while we're out in public. So actually, we drive the benchmark van, so yeah, we take all the kids. But... If we can get that excited over a football game, a high school football game on Friday, 
that really truly makes no difference in the outcome of anything in the world except that we get to win or lose, which I will say to you right now, I hate losing. I love winning. I don't want to lose. I tell my girls, amen, pickle. What's the first thing I tell you? Guys, we're here to learn. We're here to have fun. Losing sucks. So we're here to learn how to win, correct? <laughs> Say amen. amen. I've never had fun losing. But you, we, we carry on. I coach these girls' volleyball team and, and, and we do that. And I get excited and, and, and pickle sometimes. Like, Pop, you're yelling at me. I'm not yelling. I'm loving you strongly and coaching you strongly. That's just how I do things. But we win. Shouldn't we celebrate Jesus like that? Amen. We will go crazy. If you ever watch the show Ridiculous on MTV, my favorite show. You like that? It's my favorite show. I record that. I've got like 150 episodes recorded. I go home. I've had a bad day. I get some ice cream. I turn on Ridiculousness and I, I go to my nothing spot. Just crazy videos, people doing the stupidest things possible. I just look at that and I'm like, how can you be that stupid? It's funny. And I keep watching it. They, 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 they assure us that nobody ever dies. I don't think they play it all the way out sometimes because of some of that stuff I'm like, ee whiz. But if, if we can become that excited and, and, and enjoy things like that, what are we doing just milking and trudging, many times Christianity to us becomes a, a drudgery. Uh, 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 we walk like we've got, we're walking through that clay and that mire in the Bigfoot muds, what we used to call it when I still worked outside, and it drags us down. Shouldn't we be excited? We like to win, right? Everybody likes to win. We've established that. We win. The book says we win. Doesn't say the game is over yet. We got a battle. You may get your teeth kicked in once in a while, but we win. Amen. Amen. Love always wins. God's love and his love is a perfect love, meaning that he has set the benchmark, I love that word, for the representation, manifestation, and impartation of perfect love. God's perfect love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do that will make God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the triune Godhead, not love you. Even when maybe he should, in our minds, when we do something, not love us. Man, I'm not worthy. He will still love us. His love is perfect, as I explained. It says in John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Your joy, that's why we have so many people that don't have joy, that are, are hurting and broken. You say, well, pastor, they have things wrong in their life. There's, there's heavy things going on. Yes, there is. I had, who was it the other day? I heard somebody preaching about, or speaking about happiness. And happiness is a Scandinavian word where happenstance is what it's made out of. It, happiness um, relies on the fact that your situation is conducive to you being joyful. Joy or happy or glad or excited. Joy 
has nothing to do with your situation. Joy is a work that we will talk about. God puts in your heart. You can be dying and have joy. I've watched older folks die. I think of, of Bonnie's grandma, Gearheart, dying with cancer. I'm like a year, maybe a year and a half into walking with God. And this woman was a sweet, I got, wish I would have had more time to be around her. But um, as she died, I was there and I got to watch her reach out her arms and call out to Jesus. Huge impact. She was happy. Her life on earth was done. She was going home to be with her husband, Louis, who did prison ministry. It was gone before I got here to the scene, but worked. They had rough things in their life, a lot of rough things going on in there, when, when they, but they loved God. They were a part of the Nazarene church over in Howell when it was booming over there. They just loved people. There was joy there. God can do that when we get these things in here in our heart. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love, now this to me is a, a, a concise definition. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now we will lay down, like I said, walk into a building, burning, burning fire, whatever, we're walking into a tornado, whatever. We'll do that for our husband, our wife, our kid, our grandkid. What about a friend? Maybe not even your best friend. Maybe just an acquaintance. Perfect love, Jesus said we would lay down our life. Jesus came, and let me say this. One thing you have to understand about Jesus coming here and his love for you, Jesus does not get killed. Jesus does not get murdered. He does not get crucified. He, he, he wasn't forced into a mock trial. Jesus gave his life. Nobody took his life. At any point, anywhere along the line of history, from beginning to end, which never happens anyways, because time is irrelevant in God's cosmos, he could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. The father, I had a question asked um, just recently. Um, they struggled with God because how could God be a loving God and send his son to the cross to die for people they didn't even know? I actually got this question last week. And I said, the first thing, hon, you got to understand, God, didn't, God the Father didn't send Jesus to the cross. They agreed on this. When Jesus prayed in the garden, the anguishing prayer where he's sweating drops of blood. And he said, my father, if this cup can pass from me, let it be. And I'm paraphrasing. But if not, thy will be done. He wasn't saying, he said, if there's any other way, and that was in his humanness. 
He knew in his humanness, in his emotions, the weight of the world of, of sin from beginning to end was coming down on him. He was beginning to feel the pressure. And if there's any other way, he knew in his deity that there was no other way. I must be the ransom for many. There is no remission for sin without the shedding of blood. We're not under a sacrificial system anymore like they were in the Old Testament. We look to the cross. We believe in the work that was done, that Jesus sets us free. Let me tell you again, when he says, nevertheless, I will lay down my life. He says in John, back in John 10, he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes from me, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. This wasn't God sending his son. This was Jesus saying to his father, they're looking and they know the plan. Obviously, they're omniscient and omnipresent. They're looking down on this world they've created. God the father said, well, last time I did it with a flood and that they're back where they started again. They need a savior, the sacrifices. We knew this was coming. I promised no more floods. So what are we going to do? And then, well, you know, Jesus, and this is me seeing Jesus like he's at Uncle Ray's talking to God the Father. The, well, you know, we've had this plan from the beginning. Now it's time. I'll go and I'll lay down my life so that they might be set free. Point two. Oh, I wasn't quite done with point one. How does this, and where do we stumble? And we're human and we will stumble. Mark 8, 33 and 35. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. This is when Peter rebuked Jesus about going to the cross. No, I won't permit it. I won't think of it. We won't allow that to happen. You can't be killed. You're the king. You're the Messiah. All of those things that were going on. Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and he rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? No. But he was filled, he, he didn't understand the things of the kingdom yet. He hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, Jesus says, then he called to the crowd, or he says, he, he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Human concerns and the concerns of God are a far different thing. The love of God overcomes human concern. This is where it plays into us. Then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. Are we willing to lay down our life? Now, not many of us will probably have to die a martyr's death here in this country. Some may. What does this mean then, Pastor? When I put my wants and my desires and my fleshly needs secondary to the kingdom of God, maybe third or fourth or fifth down the line, well, 
my thing. I was in a group last night, and we were talking, and we were talking about when we come into church, and I said, this is one thing that um, has always baffled me. If we're here seeking God, when we walk into church, what are the conversations we have as believers, as followers? How was your week? How was work? Did you catch any fish? Get a deer? I say those things, obviously. So, the, uh, how come if we're following Jesus and we're seeing miracles, when we walk in the door, we don't ask somebody, what's God doing in your life this week? What'd you read in the Word? How did He touch you this week? If it's first place, why doesn't it become first place? Why is it not the forefront? Well, Pastor, I got to live life. You know, I got a life going on here. I know. And that life is here trying to get you to heaven someday. Perfect love point two is the agent in actuation, action, activation, excuse me, of the Christian sanctification. When we talk about this perfect love, there's no fear in love. Let me say, sanctification is a big word. We don't hear it a lot in church. We should hear it much more in church. But it's the second work of grace that we believe in. You say, well, what's the first work? Getting saved. God pours out his grace. We are, we are given a, a, a pass on the wages of sin. We are saved. We are justified through Christ. I don't often use the big words because it not, you know, new people coming in don't know what sanctification was that I'm about to tell you. But the justification you come, you can only be justified through Christ. I talk about this with these guys. There's different meetings, different spiritual mindsets. I believe a lot of ways lead to Jesus. A lot of different false religions because people are searching. But when they get to Jesus, there's only one way that leads to the Father. And that's Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, how do they? we have a hole in our heart? And it's, there's a deposit of God's spirit in our heart. And that is what draws us towards him. We look, we look in relationships. We look in, in careers. We look in hobbies. We look in, because we have a desire to worship, to have something that holds great worth to us. It's why we are in here being equipped to carry the gospel outside the doors. Because a lot of people, especially in today's world, don't know that that draw is the power of the Holy Spirit, pulling them towards the cross. God promises, this is how you know that God loves you. For he sent his only begotten son so that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. God is not a God who wants to condemn anybody and send them to hell. His perfect love loves you to the very last second of your life. And he does everything. This whole entire book is written so that you would read it. It's anointed by the Holy Spirit so that you would read it, that it draws you, that that word is a living and active word, that it would with quicken your spirit. You begin to read these things. You're, the blind get their sight. People get healed. Cancer, uh, epilepsy, demons are out of here. Miracles happen. God is using that to draw us towards him. He's doing everything he can to get you to accept the gift that his son gave the perfect love that he came to establish on the cross. He doesn't send anybody to hell. His desire is everybody be in heaven. But in his perfect love, his love couldn't be perfect if there wasn't another side to things. 
as we talk in the, the, the concept of sanctification. What is sanctification? Here's a, a, a definary dictionary. Dictionary definition. My wife's in the nursery. She usually gives me the signals when I get too excited to go, shift it back down in a second. You're getting too far. Defin, di dictionary definition. Sanctification. To make holy. To set apart as sacred. To consecrate. consecrate to purify or free from sin. To set apart. To make holy. Sacred. When we become sanctified, the second word of grace, our founding, one, the, 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 the forerunner of the Wesleyan, uh, uh, Arminian uh, theology, John Wesley, who is um, basically the forerunner of the free Methodist movement, the Methodist movement altogether, he talks about he had been a pastor, he had been serving, he had been preaching, he, he, and he was doing this out of a love for God, and, but it just hadn't fulfilled him. He come to a place called Aldersgate, a church where he w was in and he was serving and working. And one night as he was speaking, I believe it was, he said a, a feeling come over him where he felt st uh, strangely warmed, he said. And it, it, as you read some of his readings, it went in and he realized that God had just filled him, that he had been consecrated, that he realized that I have the power of God inside of me to do this thing. I have been set apart from the rest of the world to do God's work. And you think sometimes, well, that happens to you, Pastor. As a, we are all set apart. We all need to have the second work of grace happen in our life. Doesn't mean we all got to go to seminary and get a preacher. Doesn't mean you all be standing up here. In fact, we need more that aren't standing up here carrying out about it. We need more that are out there loving people where they are at in places where they need love. And that's when love, the perfect love of God gets in you. That's the thing that's always on the tip of your tongue. That causes us, when we see somebody a little less desirable, who if we're walking down the street, we might step over on the other sidewalk and go down. Perfect love and, and, and sanctification causes us to step over to their side of the street. Because perfect love, remember, casts out all fear. Amen? So we don't fear. We're there for God. If we're there for God, what happens, happens. He protects us. May there be a place where we lose. Yes, there may be. But what's the reward? Heaven. What's the greater reward here? I think the greatest reward here on earth as we work in the kingdom is to see that person go to heaven, get saved and get their life changed. Colossians 3. You know, I was kind of worried if I was going to preach this whole thing or preach it next week and the Holy Spirit's kind of got on me here a little bit and uh, I'm going to make it through here. We might not have a closing song. We might just close with prayer, but I believe God's got people here that need to hear this. So the rest of them will have to go online and listen and you go all tell them, hey, you guys should have got to try a little harder. No, don't say that. <laughs> I don't want them coming out and getting in an accident, but Colossians 3, 1 and 4 says, since you have been raised by Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. For you died, meaning your, your humanness may be away. When you, get, when, when you realize who you are in Christ, when that, it may be a warming feeling. It may be so. I can tell you where I know where my sanctification happened. 
it was a point where I had been out, I had been sober, I had been clean for, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe two years. I, Bonnie and I, when we first got together, had this little old gray Nova, kind of looked like your car, Mitchell, but a Nova. And I wasn't this big around, I was much smaller around, and I was working on the side, and, but it was, I looked like the clown car getting out. You know, you get out of this little car and you stand this high above it. Anyways, it was, it was on its last legs. You turn the corner and the front U-joints would as you go around. Muffler was loud and I'm down doing a side job and I'm uh, uh, insulating in August. <laughs> I used to do a lot of, I could take my shirt off work in my shorts. It didn't bother me as long as I got home. It took a cold shower the minute I walked through the door. The, uh, if not, I'd break out in hives and rash if I started itching. But anyways... That's just something you didn't need to know that you probably won't give you a, get out of your mind real easy. But I get pulled, I'm coming home from Salem and I get around the corner and state police officer pulls me over for the loud muffler. And uh, I think I'm in the clear. I got all my troubles. I'm doing, I might've been on a suspended license. That's a, it's a, that's a very strong possibility. I can't remember, but I was, I got my first ticket six months in. At 16 and a half, then I spent a long time on a restricted or without a license. But um, anyways, pulled over. I tell this gentleman I'm doing everything. I'm supposed to be very nice. Tell him, you know, I understand everything. Well, let me have your license. Nicest, one of the nicest cops I've ever, you'd be surprised how nice police are when you're not an idiot, you know? The, uh, man, I'm having a lot of trouble up here today. The, uh, he goes back, runs my license, comes back. And these are words, when you've been around a while, you know you don't want to hear. Mr. Chick, can you step out of the car, please? And you're like, oh, crap. Now what? And uh, I'm like, what's up? You know, I, I've been, he said, well, we got a warrant out for your arrest. I'm like, warrant? For my arrest? For what? And this thing, and to this day, I will tell you that I believe, I, went, I know I went to court, and I believe, I believe we were done. I, we had handled it, and it was over with. And somehow it didn't get done. I got to ride in the front seat that particular day with handcuffs on. You don't usually get to ride, but I shared my testimony with this police officer. I thought, well, I'm going. God must have a plan here because I'm new and I'm on fire for God. I'm like, he's got a, got a plan, I guess. I'll just go along with it. Of course, Bonnie's not used to this plan yet because she's not been around people like my family. So... Uh, but I go down there, and they put me in the holding cell, and I got to witness to these. I'm like, since I'm here, it, it was incredible, because I shared with this officer how I'd been sober, how God had changed my life. He put me in the front seat, let me ride there all the way down there, told me to keep up the good work, took me in. I got there, I get put in this uh, holding cell. It's in uh, Washtenaw County, I think, or Oakland, not, one of the not-so-good places. And... Uh, um, these kids were in there, um, they got caught joyriding. There's four, or I think there was four of them, if I remember right. This is 25 years ago. And I witnessed to them, I said, boys, and I'm not that much older than, but I, told, I said, this is not going to end good. I've been down this road for a long time. God has touched my life. I'm straight now. I'm, I'm here. Um, now, as I've matured a little bit, I know why I'm there sharing the gospel message with those four kids. Um, and I shared that. I'm not sure if that's the time they forgot they had me in jail. There's one time they forgot I was in there. They couldn't find me. That's kind of disheartening. Um, the, uh, 
But I went a hundred bucks and it was taken care of. I was out and gone. It wasn't me. It was God doing this work. I'm like, if I'm going, I could, because normal reaction would be to kick back, to fight, to scream, to holler. I'm like, God's got to have a purpose here. And I, I, I was very new in the faith, but I just, I was green and, and whatever, I'll, I'll, whatever, I'll go. I knew then I had actually had a, a person much older than me, much wiser than me, and looked a lot like Steve's mom, uh, t- tell me that I must have been, or told somebody, I heard it come from Aunt Betty, and he, he must be sanctified to go and do that. And they used to, I used to see mom and dad are pastors or have been pastors forever and then some. And then the Nazarene superintendents, they used, to, they used to take us around and let us preach in other churches when I was younger. And that, to have her say that about me stuck. And I knew I'm called out. And I'm not even sure if that was before I felt the call to ministry or if that was setting me up for the call. I don't remember. That's 25 years ago. And I don't remember what I had for breakfast. So 25 years ago, I just get the big stuff. But that, I've never regretted giving my life to Christ in walking. I've been in some other situations. I've been in dope houses getting people out of them. And I've never, I don't fear. Because I'm there, I'm like, I'm like, if God, he's protected me this long and kept me alive, why would I fear? And and I'm not saying I've been perfect since that point, but I've realized, and this is what I'm telling you guys, when you get a grasp of his love and how powerful and how perfect it is, nothing else matters. Doesn't matter what goes on around you. Doesn't matter what's happening you begin to trust. God has never failed me. He, I have failed him time and time and time and time again. He has never failed me. He has called out to me and I've not answered. I say that I've not been there. I've had time or he say, go do this or go do that or pray with them. And I say, no, I don't feel like it or no, I, I'm embarrassed, God. I, they'll think I'm a nut, whatever. I've had those times come. He's, when I realize the, the fault that I had and I come back to him, he's never said to me, no, you didn't do it. I, I don't want nothing to do with you. He says, come. I still love you. I still want you. We'll work it out. I'm going to have to finish this next week. I've said enough for the day. I think God's love and his perfect love is a topic worthy to spend two weeks on. And maybe this is why I try not to over-spiritualize everything. It's hard sometimes when you're walking with God. It's the things that I, because I'm like, yeah, devil knew I wanted to preach on love today, so... We got a nice storm. I don't know if he did that just on account of me. I think that's kind of uh, probably not the most humble response. But the, uh, maybe there's other pastors in the area that want to preach on God's love. I don't know. But it works out that way sometimes. But, and I got here and I'm thinking, eh, maybe I'll kind of just ease through it because I want the rest of the church to hear this because I believe this is foundational. Everything else 
Everything in God's kingdom is built upon his perfect love. His son is the illustration of perfect love. There's no greater illustration of love. It says in here as I'm studying, God is love. Love is not God because that would be uh, equating love over... We, we wouldn't know what love is if we didn't see God's perfect character and his holiness and his righteousness and his unfailing love. God describes love. Love does not describe God. That was big as I was studying in, in the commentaries this week. That come up. Love does not describe God. God is the standard for love. Let's all stand. Let's bow our heads. We're in this place this morning due to the weather. Uh, your spirit is not slack in coming. Father, I've felt your presence in this place this morning. I always trust that you will take a hold of me as I stand up from my seat and come to this pulpit to speak your word. Because if you don't, I might as well stay seated. Lord, your love is what we are speaking about today. What we are hearing and we're trying to comprehend it. And it's such a, a, a fabulous, fantastic, mind-blowing, overwhelming thing. I, I, it, it defies words almost for me to explain what it feels like to have your love through the power of the Holy Spirit just poured into a body, into a soul and a spirit. Those feelings that people had last week when I was praying, this is not because me, it was because of you, and they were praying in the spirit, and, and they felt healing coming into a neck. They felt a face warming, and, and, and others felt other things as we were talking. One, there was a, like an electric pulse, they said, coming out of my hand. And, and Father, that's just your spirit. I'm just a conduit. That's you speaking to them, because I could walk over in, of my own power and place my hand on their head, and nothing would happen. But Father, when we call upon your name, we call upon your love, when we live in your love, things happen, things change. You come. I pray in this group today, I, I just feel you speaking this in my spirit. Our thing to do for this week is for each and every one of us to pray for next week's service and the rest that will be in here and that love would manifest itself in all of us. Father, and throughout the week, that we would be consciously thinking about your perfect and powerful love and what it accomplishes in our lives and through our lives. Father, I pray that you keep everybody safe and sound this week as, as we leave this place. Take everybody safely home on the roads. Uh, Father, just, and I pray also that you would give us opportunities to bestow graciously our love, the love of God, our possession of the love of God upon people that we come to this week. When we see someone down, when we see someone upset, 
when we see someone hurting, that that love would cast out any fear that we have about going over to that person and saying, is there something I could do to help? Or have your permission to pray with you? Or could I pray with you? Or, or could I just put my arm around you and weep with you? Work that in us, I pray, Father. Take us on this day. We thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.